Welcome, reanimated fans, to this week's episode. I'm H.A. Conrad, coming to you from Brooklyn, along with my intrepid co-host, who is on the opposite side of these here United States, Stuart Tiffin. Hello, Stuart. Hello, H.A. How are you feeling this fine day? Thanks for letting me be, come back on the show. I really appreciate the invitation. <laughs> we all know the show's about you, please. Um... <laughs> Anyway, uh, so today we've got a couple of zombie news, nothing, nothing too crazy, um, and then we're going to be talking about uh, Fear the Walking Dead, episode 10. Um, I, I mean, you know, it, it's the one called entitled Handle with Care, and I will say, you know, I, I think last week's episode of Fear the Walking Dead was the pinnacle of horrible, but this one is close, so... Oof. Well, okay, on that note, before we even get into the news, like, every so often, I look, I I think about what we're saying on the show, and I compare it to what other people are saying critically, and we're not in the same ballpark as, you know, people who get paid to do this, clearly, but other people actually thought last week was good. Well, those people are wrong. They are totally wrong. Including the master skeptic himself, uh, Eric Kane, who I know we talk about way too much on the show, but he's one of the only people who reliably and regularly writes about Fear the Walking Dead and The Walking Dead. And usually, usually he's like, yeah, this is all garbage. And last week he's like, yeah, this was okay. Really? Because so I, 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 don't, I, I don't even know what to think anymore. I, I think that they are all wrong and we are right. Um, <laughs> so that is what I'm going to say. I am totally fine with certain differing opinions and I can get, usually I can get behind, oh, I can see how a person thinks that. No, last year's, last week's episode was complete and utter garbage and an absolute terrible, terrible thing to have even been created. Um, anyway. Wow, tell them how you really feel. I am totally going to do that. <laughs> I just can't hold back on this one. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but in any case, um, so so in news today, I mean, the interesting thing, um, and I'm sure you have seen this, uh, but basically, at least in New York, all appointments for vaccines are now walk-in. You don't need to necessarily make an appointment. You can still do that, but there's enough vaccine available that people can just walk in and get appointments. Um, it seems it's like it's wild. It's a little concerning, though, because, and I hear that this is the same in a lot of states now, but the worry is that we're not going to hit the 70% uh, vaccination rate that you need for herd immunity. So they're just trying to make it as easy as possible. Right. Uh, so yeah. that's that's part of it. Um, but also the demand for the vaccines is down, which is a little concerning because I guess at least here, I mean, New York City itself is now over 50 percent vaccinated. Over 50 percent of people have gotten their first shot, yeah. um, at least and I think it's around hovering around like the 35, 40 overall. And it varies by neighborhood. Our neighborhood is actually, as I mentioned before, we had hit. So we were like at the higher end um, of vaccination rates early, um, which, you know, hey, it's 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 an affluent and nerdy neighborhood. So I am not shocked to hear that that's the case. Um, but, you know, I think that the concern is that all around the country, it's like you don't want people to stop getting the vaccine. Um, and I do think that, unfortunately, I think some of it, people who were a little leery of it, um, you know, saw the news about J&J and AstraZeneca. And then I do think that that has maybe uh, tamped down a little bit of the... Um, No, maybe. A lot, a lot. For sure, that was a huge issue. And 
So I, uh, yeah. it's it's and they are now uh, they're now sort of releasing allowing them to be distributing these shots again. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's concerning, and I you know gosh, I just honestly like I am so exhausted about this whole issue, quite frankly, and I just want everything to be better, and and it just worries me that we're not going to get there, and more so the news from around the world to me is a lot more concerning. Oh, India's India is. Rough spot a big rough spot. And, um, I truly think that the other countries who do have the vaccine available should start shipping and getting that and just have a worldwide effort. Right now, the cases are spiking. And the interestingly, in, in Thailand, they have like kind of a tiered system. So they are running out of beds for people in general, like they have like kind of a generalized healthcare system. But you can always pay more and be put in a hospital, which is basically a hotel hospital. Oh um, within and it's I think around four hundred bucks a night or something like that. Um, but the the Thai sound like that is out of range for most people who live in Thailand, right? So um, it's really concerning just in terms of the differences in how people are being treated, and it's horrible. Um, mm. The economic disparity. Uh, India is beyond terrifying what's happening so it's not just the fact that they have the numbers spiking and that they have the very low vaccination rates and availability of vaccines it's also the variants that they're seeing there are very different and more than they are seen in other places um they you know and and so a lot of countries are actually saying they're shutting down their borders to anybody from india um and so that's that's a that's if you look at the numbers, they're they're horrifying. That's so, just also this whole shutting down the borders thing. It doesn't I think work. If we learned if we learned anything from this time last year, where all the borders were getting shut, it's that it's already there, guys. Right, and you know, and I also saw another news piece about Japan's numbers, which are now going up again. Their numbers have never been as bad as in other places, and in fact, they had done a very good job in terms of you know keeping things under control, but they are now spiking again, at least from, you know, in terms of the numbers that they had been seeing. And again, Japan has not secured a ton of vaccines, so the vaccination rates are low there. Um, so mm. that's, you know, it's it's concerning to see these things happening and the things that are in common are low vaccination rates and availability of vaccines. So I do feel like there needs to be more of a world effort to make sure, because it really isn't just one, you know what I mean? Like it's not, it, we're yeah. all in this together, like everything affects each other. So really, um, I really hope that some like coordinated effort to help get this under control. So we're not dealing with this forever. Like this is just horrible. Um, so anyway, um, in Canada, we all already talked about Canada. Canada can't produce vaccines. They're trying to like put plans in place. Um, but they, those things won't be up and running until the end of the year. I feel fortunate that myself and, and my loved ones have been able to get it so far. Um, but I really am concerned overall for the, the situation long term. So we shall see. But let's let's switch into some lighter fare. <laughs> um, yeah. In our in our in our zombie uh, entertainment news, there is a zombie comedy in the works, um, and this is uh, you know uh, I think it's um, it's going to be on Amazon, correct? That, yep, that's the deal. Yep, Amazon Studios will be producing. Um, Killing It, a zombie action comedy feature, which I believe is a, another word for a movie. Right. Uh, with the headlining star Robin Thede, who I have, don't know that I've ever heard of, but um, uh, I have has heard, done stuff. I have heard of Robin, um, though I admit I don't, I have, I 
don't remember seeing anything because I, I, I saw the sort of list of things. Um, but I have heard that she's a pretty incredible writer and actor. So, um, so this would be kind of cool. I can't wait for this to come out. And I've been really enjoying some of the Amazon projects. So, um, this is definitely something I think we should check out. Um, I, they describe it as sort of a Shaun of the Dead slash, like, uh, girls or road trip or something like that, which could be kind of fun. Um, and I guess Robin Thede is not the star. She is the writer and producer. Oh, okay. That makes more sense sense. that she is the, uh, she's going to be the power. Yep. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how this comes together. This is in Variety, so this is super early days, yeah. and sometimes these projects never see the light of day, but I hope they do. I hope this one does. And usually, I mean, usually when you see it announced that Amazon signed on, typically they do at least, you know. So I feel like this is probably going to go, but there maybe the timing, and maybe because of COVID reasons, maybe the timing of the production is a little delayed, so we'll see. Um, but we'll keep an eye out on that one. Um there is, of course, more and more articles coming out about Army of the Dead. Um, some of them very funny. There was one about uh, Tig Navarro basically being like, I don't understand why people think my like two seconds on screen were so sexy. But as Stuart, uh, you, you pointed out, throwing aviators and, you know, like some kind of rugged army gear and anybody can look really like but her reaction to it was seriously funny. Personally, I love her and I, I think that. that She's awesome. So, you know, that's kind of cool. Um, and then um, there there was another article just about robot zombies in this. And there were several people that covered this. And, you know, I'm not sure why people were so uh, shocked. It's it's Zack Snyder. Of course, there's going to be robot zombies. Is this confirmed? I don't know. It's it's uh, I tried to find a little bit more on it. Um Without giving away too much, if you pay close attention, there are a number of zombies that are clearly not zombies. That's a quote from Snyder. Yes. Oh, wait. You see some normal zombies, then you see some robot zombies. Right. Yeah. Oh, he's asking. He's like, are those monitors that the government has placed there? What? Okay. All right. You know what, Zach? You lead. I will follow. Uh, I'm excited. Yeah. No, he says that they are either, um, you know, spies for the government or robots from another world. And the whole premise of this particular uh, zombie apocalypse is that these are from outer space. And he also uses that premise to explain why some of these are sentient slash alpha mm-hmm. zombies. Um, so, yeah. So stay tuned. We'll see what comes of this. Um, I don't know. This is becoming more and more like is this real or is this a figment of Zack Snyder's imagination or dreamscape who knows um (laughs) we shall see um and then last up which I will admit when I was reading through this article and watching this scene it just made me want to watch 28 days later again right um but I also don't know if um necessarily this is the best scariest scene I think there's lots of scary scenes in 28 days later so that's the question so this this article is it's a it's from slash film and it's uh, tw- 28 Days Later delivered one of the most stressful scenes in modern horror. And then the case is made by Megan Navarro, the author, that that scene is when they drive through the tunnel in the cab and get a flat tire and have to change the tire. And, and then the zombies start coming and it's really scary. And um, I will admit that driving into a dark tunnel in a apocalyptic world where you know that zombies like the dark – it doesn't. I mean, it seems like a terrible idea and very scary. And I feel like this has been toyed with in fiction, at least about New York too. like going through tunnels to get out of a, a post-apocalyptic 
Manhattan, if the bridges are out or something, is, is mm-hmm. also has also been toyed with as a very scary concept. And I think it does. It just like it tugs on some pretty basic survival <laughs> strings, doesn't it? Like dark, scary place, potentially full of zombies, bad and scary. But is it the most scary scene in 28 Days Later? And what what do you think would be some other contenders, H.A.? Um, so when, you know, they mention a scary scene and maybe it's not as scary as I mean, I, I really feel like the reveal when um, when uh, Killian Murphy's character is sort of wandering through deserted London mm-hmm. and first discovers them is pretty like terrifying. In the church. Yeah. yeah. Um I also think that um the when he's when he's like looking at pictures of his parents in the kitchen yep. of his of his childhood home. Yeah. That's pretty that's pretty crazy. Um but one which also really stands out to me is when um the uh dad of the you know the father daughter Mm-hmm. Uh, team, the drop lands in his eye. I think that that is one of, to me, one of the scariest because you know the characters. But if you're talking about stressful, I mean, this one definitely is in there um, yeah. without question for me. But I do think that the the genius of this film is that there's so many of them that just sort of like <laughs> play play upon your, your worst nightmares. Um, I also feel like the stressful scene was uh, one of them was when they had to climb over those yes. uh, shopping carts to go and then go up the stairs. And then he has like a sugar crash. Yep. And he's, so he's like slowing down. We know that there's a bunch of like en- very energetic zombies coming up or rage right. monsters coming up the stairs behind them. And I thought that was pretty stressful. Right. And I feel like they do such a great job with this film at it's sort of um, and they talk about it in this article. And I, and I think that's right. Um building the tension and stress and terror and then basically uh, allowing sort of a moment of grace and then it comes back again, you know, like, so there's a whole crazy thing where they're going up that particular scene and you think that they're done for because it's just like kind of weird, like they're all coming up the the shopping carts and whatever. Mm -hmm. And then there's a fantastic scene where you see the person in like riot gear basically um, and they're safe and it's sort of like, oh my gosh, you know, and similarly here, when they managed to get out of that tunnel, despite a lot of, um, you know, they're, 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 they seem to be done for, and yet they managed to get out of there, and, and there's just like, so they, they do a great job at playing upon those emotions in terms of the audience. Um, and Megan but, does do a good job in this article of writing about the uh, the sound quality, like the, the way that the scene is, is set up, where you have the wave of rats that's like, oh, my God, what's that? And then it, it's quiet for a second. And then there's like this growing crescendo of, of uh, approaching uh, anger zombies and that that is actually like a really effective way to uh, to make it extremely stressful and scary, too. So, I, I mean, I think she's onto something. It is a very it's a great scene, but. The movie. I mean, we talked about it for what two and a half hours on this podcast originally. We did. Um, and quick note: it's Tignotaro, not Novaro. I was looking at the last name of this author and mixed them up because that's what happens when I don't have my notes right in front of me when reading it. So yeah, Tignotaro. Notaro. Um, but no, I thought she did a great job in in terms of um, laying out the argument for this, and I definitely think it's it's correct because this is, you know, in terms of um, feeling as if there's no way out, and I think also part of it is the visual playing that they do here where it's like you don't know necessarily what's up ahead of them and there's so much going on and we've seen in other parts of the city how um various exits of escape have 
been basically blocked or thwarted. Um, And so even the fact, I mean, I think that there's definitely a feeling, even the fact, like when they're going into the tunnel, you're like, I don't know that that's such a great idea without Mm -hmm. knowing what's on the other side of it. Um, So I I think that um, definitely this is in the running, um, but... Again, um, we talked more. Remember when we did the review of this film? We almost talked like double the length of the film because we loved it so much. So may, I'm, I'm not for this podcast, but I may have to go back and watch this again because it's so good. <laughs> so Totes. miss it. Um, things that I don't want to watch again, though, huh. are um, episode ten of Fear the Walking Dead: Handle with Care. And I will say, at you know, despite my my teasing it earlier. Um, I think it was slightly better than the last episode, but I think what I'm really feeling based upon the last episode and this episode is that things seem to have gone off the rails or or somehow um, there's something we missed. That's my feeling or... Um, maybe because of the COVID restraints, they, they were planning to do certain things and couldn't and couldn't show them. Um, it just feels like there's a lot of missing pieces here to me anyway. And the narration and the storytelling has fallen down, um, which is super disappointing. Um, to me anyway, like I, I really enjoyed, and again, maybe I'm just having like sour grapes over John Dory leaving the show <laughs> but That's, that could be part of it, it and, could but be. i agree with you there's something that feels off and i think the most the, like occam's razor approach is it's probably covid frankly mm. like something feels cheap and fake and bad about a lot of the production to me now um there's actually a scene in this episode of some really janky cgi zombies which i don't know that this show has ever done outside of a, oh, look, there's a herd of zombies 20 miles away, and they'll just, like, paint that onto the background, and it Mm -hmm. usually looks like crap. They very rarely resort to CGI zombies that you can see their limbs moving, and these are bad. They're pretty bad, I rewound, and I looked at it again. I was like, oh, my God, they actually, they did it. God damn them all. They actually did it. They blew it all up. Uh, So I I do think that some of my beef is going to is probably attributable to COVID and and that should make me be nicer to this show. However, I'm with you. I think that there were elements of this episode that I thought were kick-ass and that I really enjoyed. And I was trying, by the time I got to the end, because at the beginning I kind of hated it. Uh, By the time I got to the end, I was like, all right, cup half full, I think. Let's try, I'm just trying to like mentally be a little more positive about it just because of the, it's an uphill battle, right, for this show, for production it in is. general. It is, and so to be positive, um, so at like I love Ruben Blades, and I love the character of Daniel Salazar. I think he's okay, interesting. Well. I think that he did an incredible job in this episode, and I also think that the storyline or the idea that they're going for here is also very interesting. Considering the, the head wounds that he's been sustaining uh, over it the... It makes I'm, sense, I'm, yeah. yeah. And, and honestly, I was hoping that they would be like... So, he, yeah, I mean, we brought it up when he got hammered again and right. had that massive head wound at the end of uh, during last episode. I was like, how are they going to keep doing this to this old dude? He's- I know. <laughs> um, and so I liked that idea of this episode. And um, again, you know, if you haven't seen this yet, we, we get to watch it a little early. So just hold off on listening to this if you haven't seen it yet. So we're going to totally mm-hmm. go into some spoilers here. Um, but the main idea behind this episode um, is that he is um, 
basically we see things from his perspective for the most part and um he is not seeing that like he is suffering from some memory and perhaps ptsd and other issues and do you you like the trope of the unreliable narrator because i find it frustrating um i find it frustrating because then you start questioning pretty much every piece of narration and so i would have preferred that they uh, we're showing you a little bit more of this instead of trying to make it a dun 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 big reveal. Um, I do like the idea that he is really shocked when he realizes what's been happening. Like he can't even trust himself. So I think that That was kind of cool. That payoff is good, but it's also like two thirds of the way through the episode. And you're like, Oh man, this has been really kind of, because to get there, you have to sit through all of this. Also the bickering, and they're not doing Sherry's character any favors, nope. right? She is not, really a pain in the ass to listen to. It's not just her. It's, I know. It's, it's, it's everybody, it's really. Her, it's all of them. And again, it's this... And it we felt the same way. And again, I think you're right. I think this is probably COVID-related and in how they have to film things. And maybe it has to do with how much um, rehearsal time they get, because normally they would maybe get more. Um, But my feeling both for the last episode and this episode, which I did not feel with the John Dory offing episode, um, that it's very forced and feels contrived and doesn't feel like people are connecting. Um, And it's not... I don't think it's just the writing. I do think it's a little bit of that, but I think it, it feels like maybe they don't have enough time to sort of get comfortable with what they're doing. And maybe it's just how the direction is. For all I know, they only had, maybe there's a very limited amount of time that they can be together in said group on set. I don't know, but um, that's kind of what it feels like to me. So it really feels like they're kind of trying to force, like it's this, and the thing that I, I was trying to put my finger on what is, feels so disjointed about it. And it feels as if the audience is expected to understand immediately what all these sort of factions are like that, that there's some unknown element here that we have missed. Um, How they, yeah. Because at the end, when the dude uh, Shambliss is describing what they were going for, he's like, yeah, so all these people wanted different outcomes. I'm like, what, what, what different outcomes did they want? They all just wanted to kill Virginia, like except for Morgan. Right. And so, and you know, I think that maybe an exploration of what they wanted would make a little more sense rather than just kill Virginia. And so that would have helped a little bit in terms of figuring out what was happening here. Yeah, but because secondly, Strand just wanted to solidify power, I assume. The babyface mask people literally just wanted to kill Virginia. They, right. They never a- actually built them out to be anything other than uh, vigilante raiders or whatever, you know? Right. And I I think what you end up with though, is sort of a poor man's walking dead community set up, right? Like, (laughs) like the kind of B team. So you got the baby face people, then the old Lawson people and now Morgan's team. And I don't think that you have solidified what is different about these communities. And maybe that's part of the point is that there really isn't that much difference, honestly. And I also have to say, like, one of the things you and I talked about is how this little community that Morgan is creating and somehow it's safer than other things. Well, clearly it's not. And we see this in this episode <laughs> that that it's not. And it they act as if this is somehow this... Um, fortress that is really safe and it seems even more vulnerable than other things because 
um, by the way, for them to all get stuck there and suddenly feel helpless because they don't have guns, doesn't that seem kind of strange to you? Oh, God, the setup with the guns, though, man. This is part of what makes this episode super frustrating early yeah. on, in addition to them bickering about seemingly nothing. And I want to get into more detail about some of the things that they were bickering about. Right. Because even though it was a pain in the ass, it's 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 noteworthy. But they, they do the thing that's like so Bush League and rookie move and like Walking Dead season four or five like five years ago for the audience in, in terms of what, what where we are in our heads, they take everybody's guns and they lock them up in a in one shack. And it's like, no, dude, this is not modern day zombie survival behavior. And I don't care how much you don't trust these people. Part of the not trusting everybody means that everybody should have a gun, in my opinion, right? Right. Not locking them all up where they could be, you know, a target for some sort of shenanigans, which may or may not have happened. Right. And like, again, these are all people that have worked together. I don't know that locking the guns up makes any sense. Um, but secondly, let's also talk about how guns aren't necessarily the best option anyway, because right. they, they draw more walkers in. So it's sort where of, are your hand weapons? Right. I mean, they do actually take Strand's knife uh, in, when they're checking him in. And I assume that they took everybody else's knives. But come on, it's The Walking Dead. It's The Walking Dead. And also this community is supposed to be surviving. So one would imagine that even if these things were locked up, there would be access to other hand weapons. Because this group has been dealing with this all along. So I found that I was so frustrated by that storyline. It's like, okay, now we're going to use a chair because there really is nothing else available. Like, really? Like, it just and felt... A, a saw. <laughs> I mean, it just... Bad. It, it just seemed totally comical. And then we're also relying on this, this uh, like stupid vehicle that we know doesn't again causes so try much to, they try to describe like because uh who is it? it's like oh sarah's like hey can we borrow that and and then sherry's like nah if we let you use it everybody has to use it and we're running on fumes so they try to be like yeah we don't have a lot of gas but they still have some gas tank town blew up who knows how long ago right where are they getting this gas from it's it's very unlikely that and thing yet, is still And yet, yet they give it to Morgan and the rabbi, and right they say that there's enough gas in it for them to get. Like the whole thing sounds a little weird, so that's it's, strange. It's so convenient, and yet kind of flies in the face of what Sherry was just telling Sarah. Like, why include that piece of dialogue if you're then going to turn around and be like, right. "Oh, but you have to run an errand." Yeah, cool, go for it, man. No, no big deal. Right. So, I mean, my biggest issue is that we don't. They have these conflicting kind of ideas, and then. The other part is when they're all sitting around the table, like the big thing that they're trying to figure out is who these graffiti artists are and who are these interlopers trying to somehow sabotage all these communities and what do they want? Um, And, you know, the idea that maybe there is some kind of weird underground, um, like faction or something like that. Okay, sure, we can deal with that. But even the discussion about what they know about them, nobody talks about any useful information. And then they look to Dakota to somehow fill in the blanks. Like, why on earth would Dakota know anything since her sister slash mother didn't share anything with her? Um, well, it like, turns out she does have some information at the very end of, of the episode. Sort of, but that but conversation not... is super frustrating because as soon as they're they're like Dakota, tell us what you know. And then they're like, this chick, I don't trust her. And then Wes says something like, uh, you know, Morgan said this place would be different. All we have to do is try a little. He doesn't even get to finish his one line of the episode before Sherry uh, interrupts and goes, this guy, weren't you the one that Ginny thought blew up Tank Tanktown? And I'm like, all right, 
uh, people who write for Sherry, please take note. She hated Virginia. Why would she give a crap who Virginia thought was a culprit? If anything, you should be hugging Wes because enemy of my enemy is my friend. I mean, this is like basic writing stuff. Why would you be like Sherry thinks that Wes is a bad guy? Because Virginia thought Wes was a bad guy. That makes zero sense. Yeah. Um, the whole thing is very... Uh... And that's just one salvo. It goes back and forth and around the table. Sarah's even throwing shade at Charlie during this episode. Like, weren't you fighting for the vultures at one point? And it's like, dude, come on. Get with the now. That was a long time ago. Alexa Nisenson is like grown three feet taller since that season so let's all just kind of move forward yeah i like like and so again there's like this weird disjointed um storytelling here and the other part is that about this whole idea that somehow um dakota knows a little bit more the person who would probably know more is strand um if if yeah he was in her inner circle more so than anybody else. Um, and clearly she was shocked by his betrayal. And the- she hired him, uh, in quotes, to fight the baddies. And so what, why wasn't she sharing intel with him about the baddies? Right. So that felt kind of odd um, that you would be looking to Dakota. And obviously it's just like kind of a way to keep her in, I guess, the... In, into the into the group, I, I don't know. Like to have her adding something, so we don't just have her disappear. Um, and so there, there's that stuff going on. Things we also I, have this explosion that Daniel explains away as a rock fell on our dynamite, um, and I. It's a little convenient and also terrible. It's terrible, but I mean, the things I like about this is that with you know the sort of mystery about. Daniel that we find out later it's like when he would who would have done this and the idea that there's somebody in there acting against everybody's interests that there's somehow oh, Luciana is the one who plants that seed she's like yeah we thought it was an accident at first too <laughs> it's, yeah. it's so much of this everyone's a suspect yes yeah only, it, it and just, it you gets don't out of control. it does get out of control um the other thing I will note here is that they're still wasting Luciana why not have her take more <clears> of an active role she's such a like badass like it just feels like they are totally wasting her as a character which I just uh, maybe they'll like redeem themselves later but I just find it frustrating because I like her a lot and yeah um, potential silver lining is her... that she and Wes are going out on a mission at the end of this episode is it, so is hopefully that is that guy's name Wes I don't remember yeah really. Are we sure? I don't know. I am not a hundred percent, but I'm looking at the cast list and nope. Uh Wes, Wes, Wes. Is he in the cast? Is it Hector? <laughs> no, am I crazy? No. It's yeah, Colby Holman as Wes. Oh, okay. Cool. Um He just has had so few lines since his introduction. And I'm you know, it's it's it's, it's not like that weird that they've done this because all those children have disappeared off the show. Um, oh, and did you, did you catch in the last episode, they were like, oh, bring the others out. She's like, no, just these. And it just was like a very convenient version, <laughs> like a way to not show the rest of the cast. Um, but yeah. yeah, no, I mean, like, so I I do like the idea that there is something weird going on and that you can't trust people. And that's fine. But I think we need to know a little bit more about what is motivating this underground like group of people. Um, well, by the end of this episode, kind of like the the, th- the carpet, the rug that gets pulled out from under you is that they weren't even involved at all. Probably. Right, probably. It's just 
Um, perhaps uh, Mr. Salazar dealing with some PTSD because he's relating this building of the community to um, somehow his daughter or something like that. They don't do a great yeah. job at connecting that, but they because kind of Because it's not to. well connected because Shamblis and Goldberg had never made any effort to draw connections right. between seasons one through three Correct. and since they took over. It, and another point of that is when Shamblis is doing his little ex- uh, explication at the end. He's like, so this music has always been really central to Daniel's stories. And then he, like ellipsis. And then he goes in the last couple of seasons. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, because you guys made that up as right. soon as, as soon as you got him back on the show. Cause I think he took a whole year off after yeah, they became did. showrunners. He did. And so they were like, yeah, oh, it's music. He's an assassin who loves a little bit of uh, traveling you know, wheelberries, <laughs> light folk rock <laughs> and the cat. And the cat. Don't forget the cat. The cat shows up, too, um, but then he's not in the exit scene. No, so what and actually, that's all I could think of was, like, where's Skidmark? Like, where is Skidmark? Which one of those bags is he in? Is he in one of the bags? I don't know. It's not moving. Um, uh, but, you know, and I do think that one of the, the better scenes in this and the better the the reveal where, you know, basically they go and find Grace. She's not the shack. And um, the, the good... <sighs> The good piece of this is that we do see the two conversations where he supposedly tells them to go to the fishing shack, but apparently in real life, he told them to go to the caverns. Um, Like that reveal where he can't even trust himself and they show him the map, um, the damning evidence that he can't even trust himself. That was kind of cool, but it was... I still thought somebody was setting him up at that point. I wasn't convinced that he had lost his mind because... I don't like being lied to by right. the camera. And it, and it upset that part upset me too. And I was just like, yeah. I wish we had seen something to somehow like, I don't mind him not trusting himself, but I don't want to like, like this seemed a little far fetched. Um, and also why the heck wasn't grace answering the radio? Like, right. like, okay. You know, and I, I know they were doing that to build tension, but given what was going on and, and what was happening in the settlement, you would have thought that especially if Morgan was calling her, she would have picked up. Um, also another point of extreme frustration, um, they lose contact with Morgan on the walkies and right. the walkies are still such a major part yeah, of this. It's a problem because the zombies apparently stormed the wall and broke the antenna. And I'm like, why did you put the antenna like three feet off the ground outside the wall? What kind of morons are running this well, encampment? And, and again, let's talk about how easily breached this little settlement is. It didn't take much. And when you see the things that they have set up in terms of mm-hmm. like, oh, that wasn't made to take this much weight. Oh, wait, how did they get through? And it's like okay, you're you're looking at this settlement as something that's supposed to be better and and more easily defended than these other places, and it took literally like a few walkers to yeah. get through. And then in addition to this, even the beginning part where they see that the walkers have been attracted to the settlement because of the dynamite explosion, there aren't that many. There's enough, and there's enough seasoned fighters <laughs> within this settlement to go and take care of business basically you say that but then when when daniel let those three or four in to just find out you know who's the the mole you hear somebody yelling off camera like we got some, we got walkers over here there's three of them ah it's too many right <laughs> and i'm like uh i mean yeah i get it nobody has weapons because you guys are idiots but uh it's not too many and You'll make do like there are probably some rocks lying around. We saw a whole scene where Strand was just killing zombies with a brick a couple seasons ago. I don't think that we need to regress our zombie survivors to the point that they can't take care of themselves. Yeah. Um, So 
I don't know. I just, um, I'm not sure where they're going to go with this. Obviously, they're they're making out these little interlopers to be the big bad, but at least in this case, um, Daniel is, you know, we've discovered that his memory is faulty, and they have discovered it too. Um, and I do, like, I do think it's kind of interesting that he's like, oh, I can't trust myself, and I don't want to put my the people that I care about in danger. And the interesting thing that I thought was kind of odd, um, and I don't, like, we have whole confrontation between him and Strand where he's convinced that Strand is the person that has been causing all of this. Um, And not totally, like, you can kind of understand why Daniel believes this because he's had multiple instances where Strand has let him down and betrayed the group. And even up until, you know, like, he, he ultimately, you know, was on their side with Virginia, but the rest of the group didn't know that. Um, I agree. And Strand and Daniel do have some dialogue about this, but their history, I think, goes back further than the dialogue. Yeah. Because, again, I don't think these showrunners are, like, good enough at... And Daniel talks a lot about his ancient history, right? Like, going to the barbershop in in L.A. and all these connections, and I was grateful for that. And he even does a callback to season two at the end of this episode when he's like, the last time this happened, I burned the whole place right, down. And that right. was talking about the winery and he went off the show for a few months. Right. But the the scene where he and Strand are talking about their differences, uh, Strand's like, I couldn't, you weren't even, you were lying to me for weeks or months or whenever he was pretending to be an amnesiac. And I'm like, yeah, but you guys also have beef going back to right. season three or two. Whenever yeah. Strand lied to Daniel saying he knew where Ophelia was so that Daniel would let him into the dam or give him a ride or I forget what exactly was was going on but then that was when daniel first decided that strand was no good right also strand did shoot him in the face and i'm glad that they actually addressed that in Correct. this episode too and that was one of the most kick-ass parts of the episode that to was. me was when uh reuben blades daniel salazar takes that i don't know where he found this plastic piece like that just perfectly molds his face uh but as that was a good that was a really good reveal and a great little monologue from Daniel Salazar, I thought. Right. And they also tie it into, you know, he's only able to eat soup, like he's in pain all the time. Basically he's dealing with like a lot of after effects that unseen, um, like basically silent, a silent disability, basically, mm-hmm. um, at that he's been suffering through this this entire time. And, you know, he, with, good cause blame strand for this and so he's basically like yeah and i'm gonna shoot you in the face now too <laughs> um, the show hasn't done a great job of showing persistent injuries right. too uh, i mean i think the comic book did a better job of that with cutting off rick grimes's hand yep. fairly early on in the in the run of the comic uh you had carl's eye get shot out and stuff but even like, even dwight's like I noticed it in this episode, and sometimes maybe it's just how long he's in front of them in the makeup chair, and mm. maybe they don't do it as intensely on when it's he's not going to be. Oh, you mean his scar? Front, but his scar is like looks. Sometimes it looks more intense than others. Um, huh. and it really yeah. depends on how much camera time he's going to get. I think. Um, yeah, but you think about how many, how often these these actors or these characters have been shot. A lot of them right. too. Like almost all of them, I feel like have been shot. I mean, Luciana's been pinioned by a freaking piece of rebar on an airplane, and she's right. wandering around fine, no nerve damage. She's like, right. but I feel like most of them would have limps and be like have bum hands and all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah. So I'm glad that they did at least a little nod to this. I'm glad that they did a nod to this, but then you know, there's an interesting thing, and I was really struck by it. But um, and and this is you know, to me again, it's just a very a big, a very different way of running shows. But Andrew Chambliss is talking about how Victor is excited to get 
Daniel in a prison cell and i didn't read yeah. it that way um i, I guess we were supposed to which i think only, we were supposed to but i only didn't hurts his argument <laughs> but it didn't it didn't feel that way to me um i'm not saying that strand is like totally redeemed i think he's always going to have some self-serving thing but i do think that he was offering this more as a kindness versus having daniel out there wandering on his own um, I don't, I mean, maybe I'm wrong and maybe this, if this is how the showrunners are seeing it, maybe we'll see like Daniel in a weird cell being tortured, um, on a psychological basis by Strand, but it didn't, it honestly did not come across that way to me. Um, in hey, how these two, the case, if that's the case, maybe this is Ruben Blade's exit strategy to get off the show. Like we were talking about after, maybe. Um, after Garrett Dillahunt, maybe Ruben Blade is like, look, I, I signed on to be a murderous hitman from Panama and you've made me like this. <laughs> Uh, happy-go-lucky um, traveling Wills, Wilburys groupie. So, um, adios. Yeah. Um, so, in any way, I, like, I did not find this satisfying at all. I still really, I love this actor. I actually really loved his interactions with Strand. Um, I think um, these two actors are fantastic. And honestly, the the interactions between him and Morgan when they're figuring out what's happening, that Beautiful was really scene. that was really a fantastic scene. And it just makes me more regretful of the fact that they that everything else couldn't tie together in a better way, and that it felt like just superficial and strange. Um, and I hope that it does come back, but I don't. I don't really have a lot of faith that it will. Um, I wonder if you could have had the same payoff in that scene between Morgan and Daniel if he if you hadn't had the whole unreliable narrator or if he could have had the unre- uh, if you could have had a reliable telling of the story showing Daniel being inconsistent and if it wouldn't have still had the same weight when they had that scene between Morgan and Daniel. You know what I mean? Like if he had if we had actually watched him say go to the cavern, stay away from the shack and then later he's confusedly asking grace why she didn't go to the shack i feel like it could have still worked no yeah, or am i am i, I th- being too no naive about- i think i think that it could have um i think that you know especially when people are going through memory issues and things like that there's this whole like realization that they can't trust themselves and you know a fear and an anger that happens and and i do think that reuben blades portrays this very well but also you know he has been a trusted member by just about everybody here and in fact there's a reason why this settlement um was even kept secret and billed is because of his shenanigans that he was playing within the lawson community and pretending you know and gathering info on the sly and and pretending to be uh damaged um and and just having that damaged memory actually come true was I think you could have done it and still had these moments and you know I just think it's kind of a heartbreaking realization both on his part but also on Morgan's part that this has been happening because it's also yeah. that fear and you, you know can't leave him as, as your second in command uh, when you go off on a mission anymore that's right for sure. and, right and, yeah. and then you know and then of course they bring in June to sort of evaluate him um, She's and, like, so I don't know anything about psychology. I'm going to go read a book and I know, I'll let right? you know what I find out. I'm like, okay, why don't we just bring in the rabbi at this point? I feel like you figured it out. It's not psych- it's not neurological. Then it's yeah. time for the rabbi because he's probably got a way more counseling experience than you, June. And also, I love that actor and I'd like to see him in more. And they've just kind we of need, been, yes. they've just been having him kind of like, oh, there he is in the distance. I don't know. Maybe he has like a different filming schedule or has other things he's doing. But like, I feel I miss him. I oh. think he's a great, he was a great 
add and they don't again another yep. character that i think that they're wasting um but um that could add a lot of uh, like interesting layers to this particular story um but in any case um, my wish list for the rest of the season and there's only actually 13 episodes this season which is kind of crazy yeah um my wish list is that uh so wes and lucy are going to go have an adventure i think the rabbi should join them They'll find the kids. They'll start a new community. Uh, it'll just be some solid. And then I think Lucy should either either become a way more used member of the cast, or she, they, she should get killed. And, yeah, and like same, I just yeah. for me, it's like why can't she be one of the leaders? Why are all the leaders men? Because certainly Sherry isn't being put into this position. And always it's like the bat. You know, I know that they were trying to do that with Virginia, but Lucy was running like this entire settlement before, and that's probably one of my big issues is that she's more than capable of doing super cool things and in fact she she was doing that successfully for a pretty long time or at least you know like kind of keeping things going and you know i may like i just feel like they're missing an opportunity here um and could be telling better stories if they are utilizing her more same thing with june i guess i just feels it feels like they're wasting some some kind of cool characters that they you know put in the time to build a little bit so let's let's and also i just love um her as a character in general so you know um but anyway like i digress so um anything more to add about i guess this? the one other bright spot is that when the episode started with daniel doing an interview i was really concerned that it was going to be an owl videography interview <laughs> I was it turned too. out not to be and I was really happy about that that was good that it was not um and I did like the reveal where at first because they do show him having these confrontations um uh with Strand that you you understand that he's in the jail but you don't understand yeah. on which side of the bars he is and I thought that that was kind of a cool reveal um I think you could kind of assume that that was going to happen based upon how he's telling the narration and you know, oh, big surprise, he's implying that something bad has happened during that day. I mean, that's pretty much, uh, they're laying the foundation about that from the get-go, but um, I thought that that was a nice bit of edit photo or video editing, and, and I again, I think he's a fantastic actor, but um, wouldn't be shocked if, if this is a bit of his long goodbye um, based upon how they're setting things up. It does feel, so, yeah, it feels a little bit that way. So um, I think... That's Handle with Care, which was directed by Heather Capiello and written by Ashley Cardiff and David Johnson. I don't know if this is David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick or a different David Johnson, hmm. but uh, interesting. Next week is The Holding, um, yep. which is uh, written by Channing Powell, a regular on the show. And then the th uh, there's another one called In Dreams. And then there's the final is JD. And that's directed directed by Aisha Tyler. Hmm. So that which, could be interesting. Uh, I don't know that she's directed an episode of this show before. I don't know that I've seen her direct much TV, honestly. I think she's a hilarious comedian and a great uh, voice of wisdom and humor. But I, <laughs> we'll see we'll see how that goes. But, um, yeah, I think that's all I've got for Handle With Care. It's, uh, like I said, it was a mixed bag. I started off feeling very salty about it. And then by the end, they threw in enough uh, references to earlier seasons before they ruined Fear of the Walking Dead um, and and Daniel Salazar to an extent that I was um, I was okay with it. I wasn't going to rage out, but I do think I do think that there's there's a, still a weird quality to this production right now. I'm trying to be as forgiving as I can, um, and we'll see how the re the next uh, three episodes of the season go. Yeah, 
So let's see what happens. I'll uh, cross my fingers to hope that it, the, the storytelling gets a little less muddied and uh, maybe they will surprise me. Maybe these were just a couple of one-offs and I am curious to see what other people think about it. So if you have thoughts, send us an email, reanimatedpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us, reanimatedpcast, or you can leave a note on our site, reanimatedpodcast.com. Did I do that right? Indeed, you did. As, a, as an aside, I managed to find Squarespace's secret hidden settings to allow uh, 300 episodes of our podcast to be shown in podcatchers and podcast feeds now. So instead of having to go through the archive, you can actually probably pull them up on your podcast player of choice and on iTunes and places like that, which is great for folks who want to dig back through the old stuff and maybe listen to our 28 Days Later review from what was that 2014 long ass time ago yeah oh my gosh really yeah time flies time flies who knew who knew <laughs> that we would be casting during a pandemic who could <laughs> we have possibly foreseen <laughs> um well anyway i hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend um and let us know your thoughts and we will see you next time ciao all right thank you and bye-bye <laughs>